Uh, Cloud Weekend here, proudly presented by Spatula City. Name brand spatulas at a fraction of retail cost. Buy nine, get the tenth for a penny. Spatula City, they sell spatulas, and that's all. <laughs> I am Rylan Grant, screenwriter. Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Banjax, and now Suicide Jockeys, none of which have sold 500,000 copies. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... David Avaloni, film guy, comic book writer, drunken reprobate. Love it. If you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring uh, comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, John Lehman, and many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear crack. So double on back and check it all out. Uh, we are short on time, so I want to get Sean in as quickly as possible. But I do need to say, and feel free to, to pimp your, your, your wares also, uh, Avalone. Um, my book, uh, Suicide Jockeys, uh, is available today via SourcePoint Press at, uh, at your local comic shop. Uh, nice. It is a bonkers, kick-ass tokusatsu joint. Uh, it is, in a nutshell, Fast and the Furious meets um, Voltron with an extra dollop of heart and soul. Um, it is the most fun I've ever had putting a comic book together. Uh, it is going to be uh, the most fun you've, uh, you've had reading a comic book. I know that's, that's a bit hyperbolic, but it's going to be a great time. Go out and get it. It's, uh, it, it's awesome. Uh, 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 you got something to pimp, Abalone? And while you're at the comic book shop picking up Suicide Jockeys, see if they still have any copies left of Elvira meets Vincent Price. Uh, issue one came out August 4th. I'm going to assume, fingers crossed, that issue two will be out September 8th, maybe. Could happen. Uh, anything's possible in the world of publishing. And that'll be going a few more issues. And uh, that's what I got it now. But let's bring in our guest. Here he is now. Sean. King hey. Spawn himself. Yeah, nice to see you guys again. How are you doing? Pretty good. Nice to see you, Sean. Good, good, good. Happy to be here. Sean, give the give the kids a, a quick uh, update on who you are and what you got going on. Sure. Uh, yeah, in comics, I uh, I done a bunch of books at Image Comics. Uh, the most recent one was Bliss, uh, Coyotes, The Few, Thumbs, and Saints. And then um, I was working on Superman earlier this year for Future State at DC. And this week, King Spawn comes out from Image Comics, which I'm writing along with Todd McFarlane, who some people know. <laughs> Did you, uh, uh, Sean, I don't, you, you dropped a name there. I don't know if you want to pick yeah. that up. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> no, I, I mean, you know, what, the what, toy you, guy, right? The toy manufacturer? There's a new Spawn book coming out. Um, yeah. and, and, and we were getting right to it. I, I'm moving things along because we don't have a ton of time with Sean, but, uh, but, but I wanted to have him on because, you know, you, you did, in fact, write, just write King Spawn. Uh, it comes out this week. Um, it sold uh, uh, a, a mind-boggling number of. It sold over five hundred thousand copies in pre-order, uh, which is is that the most ever? Or am I wrong about that? I don't. I get confused. Everyone argues about it. They'll be like, "Berserk did, but it's returnable." But there was an event yeah. book at some point. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a lot. It's it's more yeah. than any of my books have sold combined ever by by multiplications right. yeah yeah it's yeah in the it's Keanu range let's just call it the Keanu range and yeah yeah, yeah I mean it, it might it might be if, if you take King Spawn take, take King Spawn out of the math put the three of us together together we might not have sold uh 500,000 copies uh, uh of comics I mean you know <laughs> but you know I, I don't know that that's hyperbolic I think that that's 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 probably pretty close uh in terms of the math uh, this is insane, and so so I, you know, I, it, it is an interesting moment in your career, um, and I wanted to have you on to talk about what that's like. But 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 there's a backstory to this that is really interesting, right? Because you and I have known each other since we were like 19. Yeah. Um, you and I were you and I were like goons uh, who who randomly got uh, got you know put together in a dorm room at NYU uh, for a summer. You were studying. You were an actor studying yeah. at the Stella Adler Conservatory. Um, and I was a, a film student uh, uh, who was uh, in New York for the summer uh, interning for Hal Hartley. Right. Um, uh, you know, which, which which there are wild stories about all that stuff. And you and I just end up in a thing together. And, and you know, and, and of course, we've you know maintained a, a close friendship since then. Um, and and without ever communicating a desire to one another, we both randomly end up in the comics business right around the same time. Right. I, I, I was a little bit you know later than you. 
Um, and, and now we are here, right? Um, you know, now, you know, now I have my books and you have your books and we have hit this moment where, um, where, you know, you've written Superman and you just wrote maybe the best selling, uh, uh, a book, um, uh, you know, in the history of comics, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> that, that, that's incredible. And I haven't fully processed it and I don't think you have either. And so we are going to process it. It, 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 it here live on this podcast yeah. and 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 so so i want to hear what that feels like to you but then also i want to talk about kind of like how the fuck did we get here you know like and 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 like how does one get get here more importantly most of our audience they're creators right they're they're right. folks with in, indie books like like we were a couple of years ago um who want to write superman and want to write spawn and so writing day my hair is like all over the i feel like i mean like it's, it's you've gone full you grant there's nothing yeah wrong. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna apologize for that but you you were you were writing plays back in the yeah. day yeah i was primarily a playwright i mean um yeah when i met rylan i was acting and then in new york i i did a bunch i did some work off broadway i was working at a company called the pearl that was around for like 30 years doing like shakespeare and classics yeah, it was a big focus of what I was doing. And then um, I went to grad school for playwriting and then did some playwriting residencies. And that was my main thing, I guess. And then, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack from what Ryan was saying. I mean, getting into comics was basically, I was running a theater company and I met Ben Mackey, who ended up drawing my first Comic Saints. Um, I was directing the play that I had written and it was... We needed animation in it. And so I had hired Ben to do the animation based off mm -hmm. of suggestion. And all the stuff he drew was like these old, like Silver Age Superman comics. And I started asking him, I'm like, did you, do you read comics? And he was like, yeah, I really want to make a comic, but I can't write. And I was like, I really want to make a comic. I can't fucking draw. That's perfect. But it was great. Uh, and we were in the middle of nowhere. And so like during the run of that play, we would get together at a local coffee shop and we literally just started building out the idea for Saints. And then when we finished it, I don't know how you got a comic out to anybody. I mean, honestly, I don't even think I've ever told anybody this. Like 10 years earlier, um, Marvel had done a talent search where they were letting people like send in comic ideas. And when I, was that? Do you remember? Was that like 2001? Yeah, it, it, that yeah. roughly around then. It would. Be I was a part, I was a part of that too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it would have been that one. And I think I sent them my first play that I had written, which was like this hip hop punk rock adaptation of the Oristaya. And let nice. it, it's easy to say I never got a response. Marvel <laughs> about that submission. Who doesn't love the Oristaya? Come on, that's crazy. I mean, is is that is that any crazier than than is the idea for Hamilton? I mean, when somebody said, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's a oh, yeah. hip hop like rock opera about the life of Alexander Hamilton," I was like, "What? Oh what yeah, are you talking about?" Casting, yeah. I remember being in New York when the casting notices for the workshops of Hamilton came out and being like, "What the yeah. fuck are they talking about?" Yeah, yeah. this is absurd. Also, it was also called the Hamilton mixtape, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Like, yeah. and then it was just like, "Yeah, it's Alexander Hamilton. The president's gonna rap," which sounded like the worst corniest thing ever. I was yeah. like, "No way that'll ever work." And yeah. yeah. There you go. Yes. Good luck with your little play. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I said that I said the same thing while standing on the set of the Power Rangers. So you know, we're <laughs> we're, we're o for two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just shows. I like to remind people all the time. Like Twitter will be like today is one of those days where it's just a ghast of people just throwing out advice as if everyone's an expert on something. Which I usually tend to like to just come in and be like, no one knows anything. Just remember, just just hold on to that above all else. Yeah, yeah. Um, which we can get deeper in because it's kind of true to a lot of this. So, like with that, the rejection from Marvel behind me, and then um, and then doing the same thing, I don't know how you got into comics. Like, I didn't know who you even showed a comic book to. So right. honestly, I just went to websites and I looked up the editors and chiefs of like Dark Horse. I knew Marvel and DC didn't do this type of stuff. The only person's email I could find was Eric Stevenson at Image Comics, and. <laughs> And I just cold emailed him and was like, hey, I have this comic called Saints. Would you like to look at it? I had some writing behind me, so I was able to say, like, you know, I've won some playwriting awards. I'd done some work at This American Life. I told some stories on the air for them. So I was like, that helps. I, 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 yeah, it gets it read for sure, you know. Um, you know, and so I sent that in. And then, like, honestly, like two or three months later, 
he called me and was just like, we, we want to do the book. Like, do you want to do the book? And, and so that was kind of the start of, of doing comics. How much, how much did you have in hand? Did you have one issue? Did you have six issues? Like how many pages? First issue, F first issue completely done. Um, I, I didn't really know what you were supposed to submit to people. I just, we, we had made the first issue and I didn't even actually know how long comics were, which is, which if anyone who's read my books, they would understand that with each. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, this, this is a 43 page, uh, uh, second. Well, you know, you know, you know my, 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 my buddy to name drop back my buddy, Kevin Eastman, you know, Ninja Turtles number one is 32 pages wrong. And the printer they took it to was literally the guy who prints the local penny saver in whatever main town they were in at the time. So that's why it's got that black bar on the front cover. Because oh. it's literally the wrong, it's not, it's the size of the fucking main penny saver. Because <laughs> the guy had no idea how big a comic book oh, was. Comic so was. Going in with no idea of how long a comic book is, is, is actually got a pretty good pres precedent in the industry. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's such a primal, like, basic form. So we, I think it was like a 24 or 26-page issue that we sent out. Right. Um, and then, yeah, then once he said yes, I mean, for people who don't know, the way Image usually works, or I think works for everyone, is basically, like, before your book gets solicited, you have to have three full issues done. Um, so then Ben and I went off. But we learned a lot in that book because we did the three issues. Um I didn't know that books got canceled. I had no understanding of comic book sales. So like when people right. would ask me, they're like, so is this an ongoing? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, how long do you think it'll be? And I'm like, I think like 36 to 45 issues. I'm pretty <laughs> like I've plotted out. I've plotted out a good amount. I, I think we're going to like use the Bible and some stuff. So it'll be this. And I think it was around, it, it was right around issue three that I think Eric, um, and and the business person over there called us and they were like, well, sales aren't great. So like, we should probably wrap it up. And I was just like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, the book should end. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was just a matter of us going like, well, when should it end? Cause we're like in the middle of something much bigger. And to their credit, cause they lose money on the books too. They were like, well, how, how far do you want to go with it? And I talked to Ben and we were like nine, we think at nine issues we can, we can do something interesting, um, which weirdly I think Eric really dug. Like, I think, <laughs> I don't know, me and Eric have a very fun, silly relationship at this point. Um, and I think he was just, I think there was a level of like, you guys don't know what the fuck you're doing, but it is kind of all about the art. Like nine's a weird number. Like, right. like all of your decisions make no sense, but you seem to be fully confident in, in them. Right. Um, so yeah, so that that was kind of like the entry entry in um to to doing comics at all i i, I think it's a i mean what, what's interesting i mean you know we talked to um uh we talked to joe duffy and and uh and um uh, philip kennedy johnson uh you know last uh, uh last week about you know something similar and i think that um you know every story has like a lightning strike you know, you got to get a little bit lucky to kind of like to 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 really get going. I mean, for me in the film business, um, you know, it was I I I won a I won the final draft big break competition. Right. I had the script that, that that made the rounds in town. People could see it was a good script. They weren't going to do shit with it. They're like, oh, great writing on to the next thing or great writing. How about maybe you take a look at writing this thing? Um, then finally, you know. 4,500 applicants to this, this screenwriting competition. And, you know, I mean, there were probably 20 scripts that could have been deserving of, uh, uh, of that title and they picked me for some reason. And then, you know, and then as soon as that happened, it's CAA signs me, uh, uh, Penelope Cruz hires me to write with Fernando Treba. I'm in a fucking room with Tony Scott two weeks later. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, and, um, and, you know, I mean, here's the thing is like, you need the good script. You need to write a good comic book, right? Um, but but then, but Image gets I don't know how many thousands of uh, of, of, of of submissions every year, and um, and and just the you know there is you have to work really hard to get lucky, uh, of course, right? You know, but but just the fact that that Eric saw it and that then that you know that that there was there was a, a place for it and all of these things. Um, 
and then when you're off to the races, it's about like, what do you make of that opportunity? Right. Um, uh, because, you know, because like how your story is like, is, is kind of, is kind of crazy is that there are so few people whose, whose first book, no matter how good it is, right. Gets to be an image. Right. I mean, that, that's a, that, 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 that's a huge deal. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm playing for the Yankees of, uh, of, 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 of creator own books right off the bat. Right. You know, normally there's some minor league, uh, uh, um, you know, activity before then you're, 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 you're not only writing the majors, but you're, you're, you know, you're, you're playing for the Yankees right off the bat. And, and that is really interesting. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, it's a, you're right. It's a complete anomaly. Like I know one of the first comic creators I met was Steve Orlando at a signing. And when I told him that he was like, don't ever tell anybody that. And, and, and like, I got what he was saying though. He was like, you're going to get asked constantly by people wanting to get into the business, how to get into the business. And your yeah. way is the least likely way <laughs> for anyone to get into the business. Um, so he was like, he was kind of like make up something like more reasonable than then you cold emailed Eric. Um, yeah. Well, I, so, so that said, you know, because 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 I, I don't want to, you know, I mean, I I don't want to diminish what this is because you 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 write a great book that Eric sees and and wants to put out, which is a massive deal. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, but then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sell well. It doesn't get the attention that maybe it deserves, and that could have been the end of it. You know sure. what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it did not sell well. I will say this, doing the nine issues, even though we, we lost a lot of money and we'll never make money on that book. <laughs> um, the nine issues was weirdly super, super helpful for us because we, we did get, I would say we got influential fans the longer it went on. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like we had a, we had the high first sale, which always happens. And then by issue, the issue two had like a 50% drop off, which is what right. normally happens by issue three. And like a, we had like another 50 or 60% drop, which is less normal, but is what happened. Mm -hmm. um, but what ended up happening is like paste magazine and sci-fi magazine writers at both of those sites found it around issue five and mm -hmm. started and, and then a lot of other reviewers started finding it and writing about it um and it weirdly became like a call it became a calling card because all of these these critics not that critics i mean one thing that people mistake is i don't really know that critics push sales like that they really but they can get like the people who are in the know talking and aware of your name and like the the, the editors at other publishers who are the real hire is really who hires you is the right. um you know to start to know who you are so really like like the nine issues made a big was a big deal because by the end of that year we made like sci-fi did this huge this huge like this list of like the top 30 writers in comic books and it had like jeff lemire on it and brian vaughn and i think i forget where i was but i was somewhere in the list and it was kind of like not to, it was just like this is absurd all of these people have done like you know it's like matt fractions on the list and you're like he's been writing amazing comics for like, like 15 years yeah, yeah. The first book that they're just like yeah it's really weird it's funny and violent and yeah we dig it he's on the list and not so that also helped like it was just those little things it's it, it's the equivalent of like folks you know i guess in the 90s or something like that like finding they find clerks on video you know what i'm saying yeah. like it, it doesn't do shit in the you know it doesn't do shit in the uh in the theaters but but then it becomes this kind of cult hit it's, and becomes, it's, it's kind of a yeah. significant question that i think is do you have any idea what was driving the reviewers to find it because a lot of times that's what you have a PR person for or whatever, but like it's pretty rare that a low selling comic gets even remotely noticed on issue four or five. So I think this was this was twenty fifteen when it was coming out. And I think like not for any real I mean it was just I think part of it was like Steve Fox, who was at Paste, I think one of the things that really drew him to it is I think he had some relationship to Catholicism, but also the fact that St. Lucy, who's one of the characters in it, was fully asexual, like like classified as asexual. And I think the fact that um, St. Sebastian, who's a gay icon, was gay in the book also. There were some modern connections to it that I think some people who had grown up in the church were like, 
I heard about this book where St. Sebastian actually gets to be gay. So I picked it up and read it and I was like really surprised by it. Like it was funny and fucking strange. There's like nudity and violence and heads are cut right. off of every issue. Like, so, no, but it was, I, so it was, some yeah. of it was topic and issue driven. I think then. so. I mean, it would be, I've never actually asked them, but I know Steve was the first person to, to find it, like to really write, like he wrote this massive article in Pace that was like, why are you not reading Saints by Sean Lewis and Benjamin Mackey? That is the article you always want someone to write. Yeah, that'll help. And I don't know where that came from because I was, when it came out, I was like, holy shit. Like, mm -hmm. like I don't even know, like they're one of the like 1200 people picking this book. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, like, but it's that article in that sci-fi list, I think really, really helped. And I got to imagine even helped at image in a level of like, okay, that book didn't sell well, but it's clear it's connecting with people mm -hmm. in some way, you know, because I, I was, I pitched Eric like two more books while that book was dying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Try to get the next one set up. Right. Yeah. But again, not, I just didn't know what ended up happening is I, I got to see Eric in person because everything was done by email. And I thought they would set, I thought like, oh, I have a book with you. Like, who's an artist you want me to work with? What, like, set me up with them. And they were like, we don't do that. Like, you got to find people. Um, and that's when I, f I found Hayden Sherman and Caitlin Yarsky at the same time and started to develop the few directly for Hayden and Coyotes directly for Caitlin. So the next time I saw Eric, I was like, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, no, yeah. No. I, yeah. I mean, that, that's another, I mean, in terms of like the how to of all of this is that like you have an eye for like artists. I mean, Hayden and, and Caitlin are like world-class. I mean, so, so, so much so that like, as soon as like the Jeff Lemire's of the world could steal them from you, <laughs> uh, uh, they did. Um, and that is the biggest compliment, you know? Uh, um, so Great. clearly you have an eye and it, you know, and so, I mean, you know, there is, I mean, you you do great writing, and 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 the entire, you know, I mean, the pace story is very interesting because like your books are about something, and all that happened was that a very funny, very uh, selective editor or writer at Pace Magazine like got what you were going for, and <laughs> very, very much so. Like that, that yeah. is really what it came down to. Yeah, but then when you add in this thing where you then bring in a world class artist to kind of bring that to life, like that is a that's a pretty mean combination, right? And so 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 if you as a creator out there are learning anything, like actually make your books about fucking something, and then you know of course go get a world class artist, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, just as easy as that, right? And the art thing I was very like absurdly lucky about. Um, yeah. They were on, I mean, Ryland knows this story, but they were both, Boom Studios used to have a Facebook page or still does, I don't know. That was like an art of submission state page. And one night I just stayed up really late scrolling and I found both of their art and I just contacted them immediately. And I'm like, you guys are both fucking amazing. Like, yeah, let's do a book. And, and, I, and I won't lie, I was like totally angry in the fact of like, you know, I already have a book at Image right now. So like, legitimate. <laughs> and like, I think I can get Eric to read it. Um, and actually, it's interesting. Saints also, you know, very to answer your very initial question of like, how do you end up at Superman and Spawn? Take some time, man, because Saints. So when Saints finished up, I sent it to Jamie Rich, who was editing at Vertigo at the time. Right. And Jamie read it at Vertigo. And I think we had a very short exchange. I think at the mo like he was working under uh, Shelley Bond. And so that got me talking to Shelly. And then, you know, it was like five years later, I sent Jamie Thumbs. I didn't, I didn't send him anything in between. Thumbs was the next thing I sent him. And that led to me getting hired to do the Guardian backups, which then led to me doing Superman. Like it was a very like. Yeah, yeah. Like, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the people who want to do this for a living, living at home, take note of the three month gap that it took Eric to answer an email and the five years between meeting oh, Jamie and <laughs> feeling like it's okay to send him something. Those yeah. are very significant numbers and you should not ignore them. Well, I think too, like, I think people get really, I think theater helped me with this, like submitting plays. Cause when I first started submitting plays, I would send any literary manager or artistic director who showed interest in me, every play I've ever written. I would just be like, here's like 30 fucking plays, man. Like pick the one you love. And like, I started to learn. I'm like, I'm overwhelming them and I'm becoming the guy they say no to. 
Like, like they've said no to like 10 plays. Like is, a, is number 11 going to be the one where they're like, no, I trust him now. Right. <laughs> He's the guy. And so I think when I got into comics, I was really burnt out on theater. And so I was like, I can't have this go the same way mm-hmm. as that did. And in a weird way, I, I had careerist tendencies, but was also holding on to comics as like, this is still fun for me in a way that theater is n- not right now. So I started targeting more of going like, okay, I'm looking at the Vertigo books you guys are publishing right now. I've read an interview or two with Shelly and, and Jamie. And I'm like, I think you'd like Saints. I don't think I'm overstepping bounds. And I'm going right. to actually reference those, those interviews so that like, if you're like, you know what? I don't like that shit anymore. Or we've, we've got like 10 of those. You can move right. past it. And right. it shows that I'm like, at least putting some work into like that thought. And it was the same thing when I sent thumbs to them. I, I talked to Jamie a little bit. I'd sent him thumbs and he, he dug it and was trying to figure out something to do. And it just turned out like they wanted to, they wanted to do the guardian who, who came from like the, the older guardian was like in a super tech world. And they were like, we want to do these guardian shorts in a super tech world. And like everything you did in thumbs fits kind of like, what we already want to do. So it just kind of worked out um, in that way. It's funny. Like sometimes there's, sometimes there is a square peg and, and, and there's a square hole and you end up being a square peg. Right. I mean, you know, it's, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, you're getting lucky, but you have to work hard to get that lucky. They're like, they're like, Oh, this is an interesting square peg. Let's put it on the shelf here. And when we have a square hole, we're going to fit it in. We, we saw that with Philip Kennedy Johnson uh, last week, because it was like, he, yeah, yeah. Cause, cause he was somebody that they had identified as, Oh, we, we love this guy's work. We want to work uh, with him. And then there was a period of time where nothing happened. And he's like, what's going on here. And then suddenly they have this, you know, it, it was a, a similar situation where they needed these short stories done. And it's like, this one's about a soldier. Oh, wait a minute. Philip is active duty army. Um, uh, maybe he could write it. <laughs> maybe he could bring something interesting to this. And so, so circle peg, circle hole. He ends up in there. He makes the most of his opportunity, and then he's off to the races. Um, that that is really interesting. And I, 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 I mean, I, I love this talk of being kind of selective about what you're sending and sending things at the right time, waiting for the right time. The other question I have is, I mean, how are you? So, so you're the guy that does a good image book but you are in upstate new york and you are a playwright and you know very few people in the comic book industry so how are you how are you making contact with these editors how are you you know what i'm saying how are you getting email addresses how are you i mean because because that is half the battle for most of the people right i mean well yeah absolutely how do you make contact especially if you're in nowhere or if you're like me where you you don't want to go anywhere is a big I, mean, I, I think that's a lot of us, right? I mean, in our caves, right? So anyway. No, it's true. I'm pretty reclusive. Like there's a level of anonymity that this job doesn't like that I like that becomes attention, but that's a whole different thing. Um, well, Eric's email was on. I, theater also taught me like I got over being shy really quick in terms of where I was like, if you're a literary manager and artistic director, part of your job is reading scripts. So I'm not going to apologize for sending you scripts. Like mm-hmm. I got over that. I, I knew other players who, who didn't. They were like, I need to get an invitation. I just never, I was like, their, their job is literally to take submissions. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Eric's email with that logic in hand, Eric's email was on the website. It no longer is. I know that for a fact. Um, <laughs> so like that, that was the entry there. But honestly, like the few I've been really lucky too. Like, there's been a few creators I've met at the few signings. I haven't done a lot of signings. Like, the few signings that I've done have been awesome. Like, Steve Orlando was great. He gave me the DC contacts. Like, mm-hmm. we did a signing in Binghamton, New York, for four hours. There was not a lot to talk about. Um, you know, like we we were just kind of there, and uh, we went out for. Steve was great because he was like, "Oh, you're brand new. Let me take you out to lunch." Um, and you can ask me some questions. And I was like, fuck, this is awesome. Like, and, and while we were talking, he was like, all right, everyone at DC's email is the exact same. <laughs> like, like, it's exactly this. It's like this yeah. and this plus DC entertainment. And he was like, just yep. like, he's like, now that you have a book, like you can reach out, they'll ignore you. And it was, it, once he told me that I was like, okay. And again, I felt like that's where I felt like doing the research was going to be really helpful because they do get lots of submissions. Lots of people do find out their email addresses and they ignore a lot of stuff. Mm. And that's where I was like, I got to read up on what these people are doing because there's, 
there's you actually do kind of I think look foolish. Like if I had sent Saints in and said, "Hey, I want to do Superman right now," and I think this is a great sample for Superman, people would have been like, "What the fuck are you talking?" Even if they liked it, it would have been like, "You, mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't even a good one for Justice League. It's too weird." Yeah. Um, where just knowing what they were doing at Vertigo at the time, well, how- I want to I want to hang a giant banner on this point because it's one that across the arts people fuck up which is you bothered you want to send it you want to send something to dc comics find interviews with the current editors at dc comics hear what they like hear what they're interested in cater to that need that's the like like you i had them i i met casada at a party in 2001 and he told me about the, like, we talked about movies for an hour. And he said, would you like to write comic books? I had no attachment to the thing at all. And he handed me off to Brevort and, oh, yeah. the, and the whole program. But the fact of the matter was, I wasn't reading Marvel Comics at the time. I had no idea what they wanted. I couldn't have told you what Captain America had done at any time in the previous 20 years. Like I could tell you what the last issue of Jack Kirby Captain America happened, but since then I got no so so I was incredibly I was not at all able to take advantage of that for a hundred reasons. Part of them, some of it was built into how they were doing their program, but some of it was I didn't know what Tom Brevoort liked. I didn't know what Teresa Focarell liked. Like I didn't know that any what anybody working there liked. I didn't know what was happening in x-men i didn't know what was that and you know how out of touch was i they said what do you want to do i said well i'd love to do nick fury and they were like nobody wants that nobody wants nick fury stop it go away actually actually, that's the best advice i also got again from steve orlando when dc came around so there was a point with him talking to jamie that he was like i want you to pitch some characters to me next time we talk and i didn't know what that meant and i immediately my head went all right, I'm going to look for some C and like B, C and D characters because I'm brand new. The only thing I'm going to get to do is like Hawk and Dove, right? Like I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to find like people they haven't even thought about for a decade. Right. And I, I, and like at the last second I was like, I'm going to reach out to Steve and just make sure like I'm not That's fucking sorry. Right. And I, and Steve was like, dude, don't do that. He was like, pitch big characters. Like, and I was like, really? He was like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not going to make any sales on that. And if they think like your deep passion is I want to do Hawk and Dove, they're going to be like, well, if we ever do a Hawk and Dove one, we'll think about you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And honestly, that's where in, in the pitch I did with Jamie, I was like, you know, I really would love to do Booster Gold because that was just an honest thing I was interested in. Sure. Um, I really love to do Blue Beetle. That was another honest one I was really interested in. And then I was like, and I'd really be into doing Superman. And he was, and it just so happened, it was also serendipitous as Jamie was like, oh, that's interesting because I happen to know that Superman's getting a new editor. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, and it's me. And so I was like, oh, <laughs> right. Okay. And it was, it was right around, I guess, I guess the tea is getting spilt now or whatever the phrase is. It was right when 5G was happening. So basically what Jamie said to me is he was like, I, we have this big initiative 5g coming up. We're going to do this thing. John Kent's going to become a major character. And then he was like, you know, um, why don't you put together a pitch primarily? Don't worry about booster. Don't worry about blue beetle. Those we, we have ideas for those, but I've been tasked to bring in three people to pitch on Superman. This is a fun story. Actually. I don't think I've ever told anybody. Um, He's like, I can bring in three people to pitch on Superman. He's like, I'm going to tell you right now. We have a super, super, superstar, like bigger than the world person that is putting a pitch together right now. We have a second person right now putting together a pitch who is like, a, a, if a step lower, a small step. And he's like, and then I was told that I can bring in an unknown. He was like, you're my, you can be my unknown. Like put together a pitch and let me see it. And I'll decide if you're going to be the unknown person or not. And so I put together a pitch, spent forever on it, drove my wife crazy um, and then turned it in. And it went really, and this is also, it, it taught me another lesson because I, I never, I'll be honest, I had gotten spoiled the image just sending them books that there was times when other publishers asked for me to put together pitches that they would be like, probably not fully, not fully baked, like from fully honest, like be like, yeah, I kind of know what you guys are doing. And I, I would do this and this and like, you should read my books and just trust me. 
And this one I put a lot more time in and it actually led to other companies later because of the pitch asking me to pitch them things. There was a short amount of time where the possibility of me doing a very, like when 5G was going to be something else, there was a point where I was very much in that mix. Um, And then I can't get too deep in it. A a much larger power than B was like him. Nobody knows who the fuck he is. He's not going to be on Superman. (laughs) (laughs) So I went from being kind of a an editor's favorite to like a, a business casualty, we'll say. Mm-hmm. At least that's how it got. I don't know. I was in the fucking office. So it might not be true, but that's how it it was a very yeah. or it was a very gentle way of letting me down was telling me that story. But what that ended up leading to is like one of the editors from DC left and ended up at Skybound and started asking me based off of that document. He was like, you can pitch me whenever you want. And when 5G got scrapped... And then the idea for Future State came around. Jamie came back and was like, hey, we all, we really liked your pitch. We want you to do Guardian. We have – and honestly, the way that also worked out is they had someone for Superman. I still don't know what the hell happened. They had someone for Superman in Metropolis who then left. I think they got hired to do another book somewhere else. And then um, – then, and this, I guess, is a different lesson because it was, it was a tough job, honestly, is – my guardian stuff, everybody's stuff was basically done, at least the outlines and some of the early drafts. And then it was brought to me like, do you want to do Superman of Metropolis? But if you do it, we have to tie it into all of our editorial initiatives and make it connect to every book that's already done. And I was like, there was a part of me where I was like, oh, this could go so fucking bad. Like this is not setting myself up in a great way, but it's Superman. Um, and so I was just like, fuck it. I did this, didn't have fun. I'm when am I ever gonna get to play with this character again? Right. And so then I went in, but I will say it also taught me another lesson, which I think has been helping with Spawn, is I kind of became a problem solver because then it became me looking at all the other pitches and going and working with the editors, going like, okay, if I do this over here, we can connect it to Superwoman, you know, the Superwoman book. And this moment over here can connect to the Midnighter story. And so it was like it was it was the the flexibility of that then led to me getting Tales of Metropolis. Right. So it just seemed like each thing was was kind of working out a little bit. Well, and this I, I, I keep wanting to pull out the big lessons and hang flags right. on them. And the big lesson here is the pitch that doesn't sell could is the building block of the pitch that does. You have no idea. You have no control over that. The thing that Jamie can't say yes to on Monday becomes the reason he circled back to you three months later. And as long as the work is solid, it's never wasted. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, every audition is, is important. It, it, it may not be an audition for what you think it is. Right. I mean, because right. I, I, I've seen this with actors. I mean, I remember, um, you know, there were, uh, there were actors that when I was doing student films at the university of Michigan, I would see an actor and I would be like, that's a damn good actor or that that person has something. And, and, and I couldn't cast them for what I was doing then or even the next film or the next film or the next film. But there was this actor, Zach, who I, I always really appreciated in auditions at, uh, at, uh, in Michigan when I got to AFI uh, and I was casting an AFI film. I, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting there reading this thing. And I'm like, you know what? Zach would be perfect for this. <laughs> Let me call Zach now and let's, let's put him on this stage, you know? And I feel like that happens so often. It's like yeah. um, you, you are making an impression no matter what. And if you leave people with a positive impression, an impression that, yeah. that, that, that you're hardworking, that you're smart, that, uh, that, that you're going to, you're going to kill yourself over these things. Like, you know, that, that may not pay off right then and there, but it may pay off three, four years down the line or whatever. Right. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I think that's what I, for myself, I've been seeing that like the, the most, especially when it comes to like the, the DC stuff specifically has been like, Oh, this thing I did that I thought was dead actually led to like a year of work. Like, right. You know, like I just thought it was like in the abyss and then it suddenly became like, Oh no, we loved that thing. Like you should do these things. And it was like, Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. So yeah. And then that's led to the rest of this like really surreal year. Um, Yeah, and that's and uh, and we have reached that step. What what's the jump between Superman and Spawn? <sighs> that's a good question. Um, so I got hired for Spawn last November. It was a very weird process. So I have been working with Todd on a media project a bit, 
And so he knew me from that and he's the, he's the president image. I don't actually know that he knew my comics or I'm not sure at that point if he did or not. He knew Thumbs. Thumbs, Thumbs opened the door to the media project. So he knew Thumbs really well and he knew Coyotes pretty well. So there was that. And then um, he called me one day out of nowhere. Like it was totally unexpected. And I was at my parents' house and he just called and he was just like, hey, Sean, Todd McFarlane. <laughs> what? As, as happens. Yeah. And like my mom's like shushing me and going like, do you have to be on the phone right now? And it's, I'm like, yes, yes. I got to be on the fucking phone right now. Um, so then I was talking to him. He was like, hey, I'm thinking, I wonder if you, do you have any thoughts on Spawn? <laughs> like, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> I, I could like, sure. What do you mean? He was just like, I'm thinking about maybe doing another spawn book. There might, I might do this. I have this gunslinger character. I'm thinking about doing this gunslinger book and like, you know, the stuff, the other stuff we've been doing, I read thumbs. Like you just, you seem like a good idea guy. I just wonder if you have any thoughts on it. He never mentioned writing it. So actually in the beginning, the first phone call, I was like, like I got off the phone and I, I called my wife and she was like, what do you think? I'm like, he might be looking to hire me or, or maybe he's doing a think tank, like a writer's room think tanky thing. I'm not sure. We did a couple of those phone calls for like the next month easily. That was like October. And it wasn't until November. I think I finally just asked. I'm like, or no. Finally, we were talking on the phone in November and we'd had these. And honestly, I was tripping out because like every time I got on the phone with Todd, it would be like a two-hour comic education because we would start talking about spawn then it would spin out to like you know when i did spider-man and you know variant covers do this to the market and i'd just be like well i, I don't i can't even handle all this information um <laughs> pretty much um and which is i which i can also get to in working on the, the issue by issue it's been like my most definitive i think comic education um and so eventually i think in november he was just like yeah so i'm thinking like like, uh, so which one you want to do? It's <laughs> like, what do you mean? The cowboy or spawn? I was like, wait, so I'm writing it. He was like, yeah, what the fuck do you think we've been doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. I think I'd like to do the spawn book. I think I understand that one the best. I've, I've had that experience before where people who don't like people who have been separate from the hustle for a long time, who haven't hustled for a long time, don't get, Yes, I need you to say out loud that you've hired me for the job, and we need to have a contract, <laughs> and money needs to change. Like we're not just pals hanging around chatting. At a certain point, I need you to tell me this is work, and we're working, and there's money involved, and all of that. Absolutely. So then, like once that happened, you know, um, and that was much more off my image books. I don't, I don't actually know that Todd knows that I wrote Super Superman at any um so well, yeah, that's a thing that anyone look anyone looking from the outside would go well obviously that's the stepping stone no not the books at image that didn't sell well clearly the one the superman book is how you get spawn obviously well, I mean, yeah, well, that well, turns I mean, out we, to not be true at all well no. i mean we, we skipped a step to a certain degree but i mean what is this media project and how do you end up working on a media project with todd mcfarland because i feel like that that is that, that is a, a a link in this chain that has not been uh um, there's only so much I can say about it. Um, he got thumbs from my agent, my representation, and then that led to me helping out on this project. That's that's like as much as I, I apologize that I can I can say. <laughs> um, but it but it was a big door opener. And I also think I think actually even him getting thumbs was somewhat from my representation, but also like. Eric Stevenson at Image has been a huge supporter for me since really since The Few. Eric really loved The Few, which was my second comic. Like he yeah. went out in a couple of interviews and would say, like, I think The Few is like the best one of the best books we did this year. And that that helped a lot. Sure. Um, and it also like we grew in a relationship. So I also think like I think when the expansion of this world came around, I would be shocked if Eric if Todd didn't at some point ask Eric who are some people to look at. And they're saying like you should look at Sean. He's interesting. Um, maybe not perfect for your book, but but interesting. Uh, you know, as yeah. a as a thing. And then and then yeah. Then so yeah. So that that got us into doing into Spawn together. And uh, so I guess since January, we've it's been full throttle of just like doing it. And and that has been the biggest education is, you know, the way Todd talks to the writers, but also how he inter 
acts with the artists. I've always been super hands off with artists, but it's really interesting. Like there's things that catch Todd's eye or things he wants on a page that when he first says it, I'm like, is that really a big deal? But then I'll see the revised art and I'm like, oh fuck, like that's mm -hmm. a huge deal. Which yeah. has made me think a lot about like, oh, this is super helpful when I, if, if and when I do a book of my own again, of just like how he's, also how he's talking to the artist, like the language of it. There's a lot of times where I'm like, I can't draw. What the fuck am I going to say to you? Like, like, could you do panel two better? Or like, yeah. like, like if it's a horrible story thing where I'm like, I don't know, like the main character has been missing for six pages. I feel comfortable saying that, but like, yeah. right. When it gets to intricate art, especially when it's like Hayden and Caitlin, where I'm like, it looks great. <laughs> like, let's go. I, yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, it's it's something that's always struck me uh, uh, about you is that you, I mean, at the very least, you know when to step in and when not to. I mean, I think that when you have Hayden and Caitlin, like, um, you know, some artists need a sandbox to play in um, very much. You know what I'm saying? So it can be very helpful to come in and be like, draw in these right. confines. But if you do that to a Hayden or a Caitlin, it is going to be detrimental to them, detrimental to the piece in general, because whatever, whatever you can tell them, they're going to come up with something like 10 times more interesting and intricate and twisted. And so, so yeah, sometimes you need to tell them, Hey, pull back slightly, but for the most part, let them fucking go. Right. I mean, a hundred percent. Right. I mean, you'd mentioned the, the eye for artists and i don't even know if it's an eye as much as like when i saw both of their art and this is this is stuff i have said to other writers who ask about like how do i find an artist how do i find someone like hayden or or how do i get that out of them and i'm like yeah, it's, don't think about it like you're their maestro or like like there are times with writers i think they're in comics especially there becomes an obsession of like I don't know if it's from an insecurity because it's such a visual medium that's like i need to control this or i read alan moore has like 500 page scripts. So I'm going to write 500 page scripts. And you're like, you're not fucking Alan Moore. Like, calm down. <laughs> like, and not, and also not all of, you know, I love Alan Moore as much as anybody else. Not all of those 500 page scripts result in classics. Sure. Some of them also, do very yeah, much yeah. though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Work aside, Alan Moore's kind of a jerk. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> like, like, from a working standpoint, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah. But yeah, and, as you've yeah. been saying, there are artists who want more and there are artists who want less. And, and I think it's finding that, but also like, looking at the portfolio and having a conversation with the artist and going like, what are you actually really, really good at? Mm -hmm. And I write towards that. Like Hayden, what got me about Hayden is I was like, there is an insane level of kineticism in your panels. Like they feel like, they literally feel to me like they're moving. Like there's always energy. So like, I'm going to write that. And that's why the few, like when people ask me, they're like, the few's like really quiet. And I'm like, when you have that much energy in the panels, I don't think you got to talk a lot. Like, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of motion happening. So I'm going to mm -hmm. do it with Caitlin. There was a level of her layouts and like, she can do so much with the eyes of characters that I was like, ah, there's monologues. I don't necessarily need to write because I think we're going to mm -hmm. get it with a little bit of narration or a line. And like the close up of that person's face yeah. is what is going to sell it. So I think it's, it's, I just would encourage people like it's the best books seem to always come out, at least in my experience. And this is happening with spawn because me and Javi, Javi's fucking amazing. Like people are not ready for what Javi's going to do. Like it, it's insane that like, it's insane. Um, but I think what's good is we've, we've hit the same rhythm as I, as I feel like Hayden and Caitlin and I did where it's like, we both have ownership of the book. You know, like that, I think that's always how it felt with the few and thumbs is, and, and coyotes and bliss is like, it was never like, oh, this is my book. And they're facilitating it as much as like, what can you, like people ask all the time of like, bliss is so like this indie book I do, bliss is crazy. Like there's these like sea gods and turtles. Like what made you decide to write that? And I'm like, Caitlin told me she wanted to draw turtles. <laughs> <laughs> I should introduce her to Kevin. Like it's true. Yeah. It'd be an, that'd be a fascinating turtle book. <laughs> yeah. fascinating but, turtle but I think that's the kind of thing I mean is like, I didn't immediately go like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like I'm writing this grounded drama about addiction. It just mm. became like, I think you're amazing. Like, can the book get better if I lean into what you also want to do? Mm -hmm. It's been the same with hobbies, like talking with him and seeing it, like pages he had done on Batman and like some of the things he's really strong at that I'm like, 
let's lean into that. And then also hearing from him things that he's a little scared of or like he's wanting to do in mm. action going like, fuck it, let's lean into it. Like if we're, yeah. let's, fall, let's fail big together. <laughs> well, and, and you never go wrong, you know, particularly if you have the right kind of collaborator, bringing them into the process. And I think a lot of writers will sit alone panicking, not knowing if they did something right or wrong. I had a six page sequence that I just wrote and I just wasn't crazy about the setting of it and how it worked in the pacing of the story. It just wasn't crazy about it. And I sent it to the artist who's drawing it, Dave Acosta, and I said, this is too, this scene's too long and it's in the wrong location, right? Just tell me that, and he's like, yeah, no, get it somewhere easier for me to draw for one thing, which always funny. Uh, but it opened the door to a whole different kind of sequence. And the sequence is mostly still the way it was, but it's now happening someplace so much funnier and more thematically tied to the book. Cause that's just, this isn't, but I think a lot of writers uh, don't want to give an artist that kind of input. It's you weird know? to me. Like I, yeah. I just think it's great when you start editing each other. Yeah. The books get way better. Yeah. That's the main yeah. thing I would say. And I think it's just ego that makes people go like, well, they said a note. They gave me a note on my writing. I think they hate the book now where it's like, they're working on a fucking book with you. They don't hate the book. Right. Like, like so it's just weird to me because I'll hear people talk like, or uh, often a lot of times it's like I'll hear from other artists that I know who are like, yeah, I'm working on this and it's just been frustrating. I'm like, you're a great artist. Why is this frustrating? Like, what's the mm -hmm. deal? You know, that it's, I think you have to get to that. And also I think like some writers can also get, I'm just shitting on writers. I don't mean to, but like, <laughs> we're all writers here. So you can do that. Yeah. yeah. Also, like their expertise is, is the visual. Right. And there's times where I'm like, like for me, I've learned that writing a great fight scene, it's it's better for me to tell them tonally and emotionally what and and base action what needs to happen as opposed to like panel one punches him in the jaw, panel yeah. two, the jaw drops open. Cause I'm like, I'm trying to picture in my head and I'm like, it's so fucking clumsy and it just looks like movies I've seen. It, there's nothing original yeah. about it. Where it's much more interesting if I'm like Spawn's proving to everyone that he can murder them in a second. Like, and Tavi will be like, ah, okay. Like, yeah. that means something to me. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I've, I've said the same thing multiple times. The only time that I've ever done Marvel style has been on fight scenes. Yeah. You know, and the first time I did it, I was writing a funny animal fight scene for a book that was literally going to have layouts by Kevin Eastman. And I was like, what am I even fucking thinking here? Let me just tell Kevin Eastman the dogs and the cats fight for five pages. At the end, this character's down, this guy's climbing through a window, and these three are standing triumphant. Get me there, and I will Stan Lee some quips in once you've drawn it, and it's going to be fucking great, Jack. It worked pretty really good for yeah. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same difference. I mean, I, I you know, I, I remember writing production drafts for Clayton Barber, uh, uh, who was the fight coordinator on Creed. You know, that that single shot scene in Creed, right. and he was the the fight coordinator on on Black Panther. And 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 I have never written more and then they fights in a script. Uh, uh, you know, than that. You know, because it's like, yeah. what, what, what am I gonna, what am I gonna tell this guy? Well, and also just like yeah. the, you know. The, you see it in drafts all the time and you see it in spec scripts all the time. But I'm pretty sure I saw a Bond shooting script once and it literally was like Bond puts on his skis. Spectacular ski chase, roughly 12 minutes. Bond takes off his skis at the bottom of the mountain because they know the director and the second unit guy and the stunner ranger yeah. and Roger Moore or whoever are going to stand on a ski slope in Switzerland and go, can you... Could you do a thing with that tree over there where you do? Yes, great. It's like, so why are you describing a mountain that doesn't exist anywhere in the world? You know, a set of circumstances that are completely random when a bunch of highly trained guys are going to get together in a room and go, here's the best way to do all of this, you know? And it's also, and I would say this, this is, you know, before we end up the, the sort of the last, the last thing for writers, the last piece of advice is know what's important to you and know what's not. Yeah. You know, not every creative decision you've made writing a script is 10 important. Some of it is like, yeah, I don't give a shit if that, ha where that happened. You know, I've, fairly frequently I will write Dave Acosta and say, do you want, should this happen in a shopping mall or a parking lot or a forest? I don't give a shit. It doesn't affect the storytelling. 
what do you what's what do you most feel like drawing this week? And if he says forest, I'm like, great, happens in a forest. I will write a forest. <laughs> well, it also yeah. will make you much happier. Like you yeah. won't lose your mind as often if there's a level of like I think the importance thing is is good. I will say too, like anyone who wants to work with a big property, you are not in control of it the same way that you are. You get notes from way more people and the notes you can't get away from the notes. <laughs> like, like you have to, you have to deal with them. So like, that's a, that's a thing like I, that I think is better to get used to. Like, I think that that order yep. of what am I willing to fight for? Um, or needs to happen for the story, especially if you end up working at a DC or a Marvel or a large piece of IP, because you're going to get fired if you're just fighting on every every yeah. change or comment or note. If you just start going like, well, on page three in the panel, you you ask for it to be a square, and I think it should be a rectangle. Like you're fucking done. Like yeah. <laughs> there's nobody who has the time for it. Yeah. And also, like you're probably not having the right. You're you're not concerning yourself with like what's what am I really hired to do here. Yeah. I think you should ask yourself that. Like if you're doing an indie book that you created. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's your passion. And if it's like, I think I'm paid like no splash pages ever, like, or whatever. But if you're doing a big property, then I think it's, it's, you got to ask that they hired me to, to accomplish what for them. Yeah. The Tom Lennon and Ben Garant, the screenwriters who are also the Reno 911 guys have a great book on screenwriting. And they're like, you're a building contractor. And if they ask you to put a toilet in the middle of the living room, <laughs> you are within your right to say that is unconventional. And here are the reasons why people generally don't like a toilet in the living room. But if you want me to put a toilet in the living room, I am fucking excited to put a toilet in the living room because that is an avant-garde choice. And I will. it is my gig to make it work. That is, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering their metaphor right. That is the best advice I think for writing a a large a larger comic property possible. I think the building contractor idea of it is like you are there to architect. You are there to not fuck yeah. up the property, but basically like they talk to you. We want the house. What 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 do you think would be cool in this house? And if you're like, I think you should have a much bigger deck. That's what you're there to do is to build right. that fucking deck. And yeah. and I agree. If while you're building the deck, they ask for a toilet on the deck. Your job then is to figure out the best way to get that toilet on that deck. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, depending on your relationship, you can say, interesting choice. A writer, screenwriter friend of mine gave me the best pushback that doesn't sound like pushback thing is to gaze thoughtfully off into the middle distance and say, what does that get us? You know, make them defend the idea without making them defend the idea. Because if they don't have an answer for that, they might step back. But instead, they're telling you why they need it to work, you know, like, and that's, a, it's valuable to know why they want a toilet on yeah, the deck. I, 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 I think there, yeah, there definitely needs to be some sort of, you know, there, there are things that they're going to be wrong about, right? And, and there are things that, that you, not go to war is not the right thing, but there's some, there are things that you need to push back on, right? And, 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 and I think what Sean is saying very artfully is that if you push back on everything, or if you push back oh, yeah. on too many things, uh, uh, with, with, you know, you are not going to be taken seriously on the battles that you need to win for the good of the project. Like, like, and and, and 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 you need to decide what you're arguing about because it's not about your vision. It's like right. when you argue is when they don't realize that the choice they're making is going against their vision. Like, their vision is what is important. Um, and right. it's like, it, you know, you need to come in and say, you, you know, the problem is like, you, you said the most important thing to you was this giant big screen TV on the, uh, uh, on this wall. If you put the toilet here, it blocks then, the big screen TV. How's that going? Yeah. But it, yeah. So, so we need to figure out something else with this toilet. If this TV is, and, and that is an argument they will listen to, not you fucking idiot. Who wants yeah, a toilet? That's the dumbest their, thing I've ever heard in my yeah. life. How could you possibly yeah. want that? Yeah. yeah. Cause yeah, I yeah. think like the, um, and I think I also would throw out like there's sometimes a lot. I think there can also be a lot to be learned in treating it. Maybe this is a luxury at times, but like treating it like a big improv game. Just mm -hmm. like I, I actually, I, I feel like I learn a lot sometimes. Like when I get a note that is that seems insane to me, and I, just, <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Like fuck it, I'll I'll jump in and we'll see what happens. If I just do it, sometimes I get to the end of the road and we all look at it and we all go like, 
Yeah, that, that don't work. But yeah, that's when you're glad you saved every draft. Yes. But there, I, I can't lie. There's definitely times where I've said yes. And then I creative solution comes in and I'm like, I can't lie. It's pretty fucking cool. Like, yeah. like I didn't no, absolutely do that. I wouldn't have done that on my own, but the way it's worked out is like really fucking cool. Yeah. Well, and you know, and the other thing that I always, you know, I Ryland's heard me say this a million times. The Phantom Menace has one writer and Fellini's eight and a half has five. So the whole singular vision of the artist thing, there are a lot of singular geniuses out there who don't, don't produce their best work unless there's someone in the room going, George, is that really the kid should be that young? I don't know. He seems a little much, way too young for Padme, doesn't he? Isn't that odd? I, I guess I wonder if it's, just me, but there's times where I'm like, I almost want to say to younger writers, especially who will talk about the sit, the auteur, because I, I also teach. And there's times where I have students come in filming, and like they they all want to be Paul Thomas Anderson, which is which is great to a degree. But there's also times where I'm just like, who fucking cares? <laughs> like, like at the end, all anyone cares about is is the movie good or is the comic good? Like. I guess as I'm getting older, I used to care about, like, I, I want everyone to see me as a genius. But now as I get older, I'm like, I just want everyone to leave me the fuck alone. Right. <laughs> well, but but also, I mean, that's the thing. The, the genius of anyone working in a collaborative art is that when the PA says, you know what would be great is if he dies in this scene, and you go, oh, shit, that is great. Right. And then in an interview, you have the balls to say, you know what? A fucking PA told me that, and it was so fucking awesome. And it never takes away from anyone's genius cred when they do that. At and all. You, and you know when someone in an interview never mentions the crew, the actors, the artists, the colorist, whatever, that they're full of shit and other people did all the heavy lifting. Or the fucking DP. <laughs> yeah. Like every single time with my students are like, I want to be Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm like, do you know who his DP is? That might be your best step to start doing it. Right. Like, well, and, and also, like, I mean, why do I need to know the DP? And I'm like, it, all right. Well, and also, you know, I say this a lot, unless you're in the room or standing on the set, you don't know who did what at all. And I remember when Spike Lee brought, broke in, all of his films were shot by Ernest Dickerson. Yeah. And I remember someone saying to me, he's an amazing visual stylist. And I said, when he makes a movie without Ernest Dickerson, I will be able to judge him as a visual stylist. It is entirely possible that is 100% Ernest going, Spike, here's what we're going to do with the camera. Sure, Spike, sure. here's what we're yeah. Now, as it turns out, Spike is a visual stylist. But the other aspect is, after making five movies with Ernest Dickerson maybe he learned quite a bit about the visual styles of filmmaking. So you never, if you weren't there, you never really know who did what, who said what, who had the brilliant idea. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, Jeff Gordon is, you know, uh, was at one time one of the best drivers in the world. Right. Um, if you put him in my 2001 Ford focus, he's not beating anybody. You know what I'm saying? So, so, yeah. so, so these are massive endeavors. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you need to be in a high performance machine in order to like, you know, to have your brilliance, like end up on a, 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 a screen or in a book or something like that. Everything needs to go right, you know, in order for you to, um, you know, so, so, so Paul, you know, Paul needs to be in a Ferrari in order to go 200 miles an hour. Paul, when you're up to 200 miles an hour, Paul is 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 the most capable driver in Hollywood, right? Um, but blow a tire out, uh, put him in a, a car that doesn't handle so well, uh, right. you're going to end up with dog shit every time. And anybody that doesn't recognize that, I think, is yeah. Uh, yeah and, doing and humility is not a weakness. It's not going to fuck up. Oh, it's, 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 it's like I said. No one has ever no no one has ever damaged their career or reputation by saying, you know what, Clooney came up with that in in rehearsals, and I thought it was really fucking great, so we used it as the end of the movie, right. which is Steven Soderbergh talking about Solaris, which is a better movie than its reputation. But it's yeah, like no on the director's commentary, he literally says, yeah, the ending of the movie actually never worked. And then uh, George came up with this thing when we were rehearsing it. And I went, oh, holy shit, that explains everything. We'll use that. And it's like, wait, you were you were in rehearsals for a movie that didn't work on paper and Clooney solved it for you? I mean, good thing you hired a really talented filmmaker as your leading man so that he could work that, do that algebra for you. You know, in his dressing room, 
but anyway, we should wrap up and let you get on your, your way. We've kept you a little bit over. Um, we always end with what, you know, what are you doing and where can people find you? When is King Spawn? Uh, Wednesday. On stands. Okay, well, so today, today when this is this airs. Oh, yeah. oh today. Today. Yeah, today. Today is King Spawn Day. I will be uh, probably shutting down my Twitter and Instagram concurrently with that. Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. So yeah, go to your comic book shop today and get King Spawn, get Suicide Jockeys, and see if they have a beat up copy of Elvira meets Vincent Price uh, way in the back that no one has bought yet. Um, but, uh, Ryland, do you want to, uh, wrap up for yourself and say where people can find you? Yeah, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. It's written right here. If you're uh, watching the video, if you're listening, it is, uh, R Y L E N D G R A N T. I always spell it cause it's not a real name. My parents drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And now I have to spell it for you. Um, uh, yeah, as Evelyn said, uh, Suicide Jockeys is available at your local comic shop right now. As of today, uh, uh, King Spawn slightly edged us out with those pre-orders, but uh, we're kind of hoping to overtake them as, uh, as as the reorders come in. Uh, it's it's going to be quite the battle. Uh, we'll keep you updated as as we move on. Uh, go go get Aberrant and Banjax at your local comic shop while you're there if you haven't already. Um, yeah, I'm good. What do you, got, and, uh, you can find me at uh, davidavalonefreelance.com. That branches off to all of the things and the socials and the what have yous. And Elvira meets Vincent. Elvira will continue to meet Vincent Price for at least five issues. The second one should be out in September. Uh, right. Knowing how things go with her and with Dynamite, probably maybe we'll get up to eight. Maybe we'll get up to 12. You never know. People love Elvira. And uh, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much, Sean, for joining oh, thanks us. Thanks for having me. It was it was great to have great you. Talk. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.